Welcome to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon, where our mission is bringing the good news and demonstrating the kingdom. Join us live for Worship in the Word, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our YouTube channel. We hope you are encouraged and equipped by this week's word with our senior pastor, Emily Tadro. Wasn't worship wild and fun today? I got really sweaty. I like did my hair today, and then I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Um, what a waste of time, but it was totally worth it. I love it when the Holy Spirit just invades the worship space, and I know the worship team practiced songs and, you know, put their heart into getting ready for this morning, and they didn't do hardly any of what they did, practiced. But thank you for just being yielded to the Lord and letting him flow through you and singing a new song. I love when a new song comes forth. So good. Okay, you guys ready? Who read Romans 11 before you came today? Kim and Dad. Oh, and Karen. Woohoo! Good scholars, good scholars. No, I, I actually posted, consider reading it before you come because we're not going to read the whole thing this morning. It's very lengthy. We'd be here for a couple hours um, to go through it line by line, verse by verse, or we'd have to chunk it up into several weeks. And I don't think that's necessary to get the heart of this chapter. So I'm just going to hit some of the, the main themes of this this week, but it is an important, it's, it's in the Bible. It's important. Um, (laughs) And, you know, sometimes we just rush through things that seem redundant or that we're like, I don't need to read the genealogy. I've told you guys this before. When I read the genealogy and I go through the genealogy in Matthew, like inductively, you have to go back. When you read these names, why are these names in here? Who are these people? What is their story? Why is it important that their name was mentioned? And the genealogy is the lineage of Jesus. And I, like, you could just read through it and be like, so-and-so, the son of such-and-such, and and just try to get through it as fast as you can with your speed reading. Or you can actually dig in and be like, wow. I challenge you to do that sometime this summer. Just go through the first chapter of Matthew and inductively read each of those names and look up who they are and their story and why they're in there. And I promise you, you will see this common thread of redemption and covenant and God using ordinary people, screw-ups, if you will, to bring forth the most amazing promise. And you will feel so encouraged because if God can use them, he definitely can use you. And he will And he used them to bring forth the promised Messiah. And if you feel like a screw-up this morning, guess what? He's going to use you to shine forth the promised Messiah, who is already here, and he lives in you. So there's not a single word in this book that's worth glossing over or zooming through. And I say that as I'm going to zoom through. So I challenge you to read it. Okay, Romans 11. It's the final chapter in this portion where Paul is just going after 
the focus regarding Israel as a people and their journey uh, as far as like hardening their heart to the Messiah and the, the thing between law and grace, old covenant, new covenant. He, he spent three chapters talking about this, so it must be important. And uh, I agree with Dad that this chapter is really meant to not be a chapter, like chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. They're not, they were written as a letter, as part of a bigger letter, starting in verse or chapter 1. This is all a letter to the Church of Rome. 16 chapters broken down theme by theme by, not Paul, by the people that, that created the Bible in its canonized form. But Paul wrote it as a whole letter, a whole heart thought to a people that he was called to. And um, so you don't want to just, you can take it out of context, but it's really meant to be in the whole thought. So why is this whole conversation about faith and grace and Jewish people and Gentiles, why is that important to Paul? Why is he making such a big deal about this? It's hard to answer in a church service, I know. Um, you have to remember that Paul himself is a Jew. He's not just any Jew. He is like a Jew of the most amazing Jewish pedigree. Like his lineage his history, his, his family line, his education. He's, he's as Jew as Jew can be. <laughs> he's, very, he's very Jewish. But he believes in Jesus. And that's a really important distinction. He was a very widely respected and feared Jew because of his heritage and uh, his training because his knowledge of the tradition, the culture, the religious knowledge. But now he's this transformed man. He went from, I mean, you guys know Paul's story. He went from being someone who would sentence someone to death for their zealot faith and hold the coats while people threw the stones. Um, his name was feared. And he went from that to a person who just laid his life down for the sake of the gospel and preached it everywhere he went. And he was completely transformed by the power of the gospel and his relationship to this Messiah that his own people, not all of them, but many largely, had ignored. And Paul he says this in this chapter many times, that he knows better than anyone the blindness and the hardness of heart of the Jewish people because he had been living it. And he knows also better than anyone as someone who has been transformed the covenant that God had made with them and the new covenant that was available through the cross and through the life of Jesus. Um, and he knows how important the Jewish people are in this whole, this whole, you and I, 
our future children, our grandchildren, this whole spiritual family, the generations to come. Um, this chapter is really long. And it's some, sometimes it's hard to read um, because of some of the things that are said about the Jewish people. Did anybody? Well, okay, three of you read it ahead of time. So I don't know. When I read those things, I'm always like, God, why do you say that? <laughs> Like, God granted them a spirit of deep slumber and closed their eyes to the truth, preventing their ears from hearing up to this very day. I have to wrestle with God when I read words like that and ask him questions about it. I think it's important to ask God questions about some of the things that we read. Like, hey, that's not my relationship that I know with you, so talk to me about that, Lord. And he does. So just being honest, I had to get, I had to get in the Holy Ghost to get excited about this chapter, but once I did, I felt the hope and the just the goodness of God just screaming through the pages. So um, it is a very hope-filled and important portion of Scripture. Number one, because it displays the absolute faithfulness of God. When we are faithless, He is faithful, and that is said over and over again in this section. Um, And he's super faithful, in particular, to the children of Israel. And he loves them, and he's not giving up on them. He's never going to let go of them. I loved what you said last week, Dad, about once saved, always saved, the question, you know, that runs through our minds, and you just read scripture. That's, That's how God feels about his covenant people, the children of Israel, and we are now his covenant people too, just FYI. So he, he will never lose his grip on us. He will never turn his back on us. And when we are faithless, he is faithful. So again, I'm not going to read this whole uh, chapter verse by verse, um, but I am going to start in verse 1 because it's where the question comes up. And I think it's an important question because I actually hear this question in Christian circles today. It's a, it's a question that I hear in regards to Israel, in regards to the Jewish people. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically Paul says, so what's the deal with the, is, with the children of Israel? Is God done with them? That's the, that's the first question that comes up. You know, there's a lot of theology out there, replacement theology, When you read this portion of scripture, you can see, plain and simple, replacement theology is a load of crap, is total garbage. God is not replacing his people with a better version. He has an everlasting love, and with his kindness, he will draw them. He's never going to change that. So this first question, so I ask you this question, did God really push aside and reject his people? This is verse one. Absolutely not. For I myself am a Jew, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his chosen, destined people. So this is Paul saying, I am one of them. Absolutely not. If God can redeem Paul, out of, you know, to be the most Jew of the Jews, he will redeem anyone. And he is proof. 
So then it goes on to say, you know, haven't you heard Elijah, how he agonized and prayed to God over Israel? And he's agonizing and praying some, like, agonizing prayers. God, your people have murdered prophets. They've demolished your altars. I'm the only one left, and now they want to kill me. And he keeps going and saying, then God's response to him is, I have reserved a remnant for myself. And you can see in Scripture that there was a remnant of the Jewish people that came into faith. We would not be here today were it not for the Jewish people that came to faith in the Messiah. The church was started with them. It was started with them. Those that gathered in the upper room, Jews, they were Jewish. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They, their eyes were open to see. They, they made a covenant with Jesus. They gave their lives to him. They literally gave their lives for him. And the church was birthed. And it wasn't until Peter had the vision. And then he went to Cornelius' house. And preached the gospel to Cornelius. Peter had a vision that not to call something unclean unless the Lord called it unclean. And he, not to, um, and to do that with food or items or people. And it changed his heart towards people that were not Jewish. And then he went to Cornelius' house, preached the gospel. He was saved. And then Gentiles began getting saved. And we are in the blessing of that. That vision, because we are saved. We, I mean, there's some of you that may have Jewish descent in here. I know that um, our good friend Bruce grew up Jewish, and he met the Messiah in his young, younger years. And he's, do you consider yourself a Messianic Jew or just a Christian? Messianic Jew, dash Christian. Yes. I mean, it's pretty hard to abandon your roots, isn't it? Because it's not just religious, it's also cultural. But there's people all over the world that are Jewish that are finding Jesus. I'll talk more about that later. So the Christians in Judea were mostly, were mostly Jesus, Jewish people, I'm sorry. For the, then they saw for themselves and they believed. They put their faith in Jesus. Um, as the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. And then through these converts, the church was born, and many then had to disperse because of persecution from guys like Paul. And they dispersed throughout the earth and preached the gospel. And Jewish people shifted to other places as Jewish believers. Um, And then Paul receives the gospel, and God sends him to the Gentiles. So Paul says in this chapter, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. So the Jewish Jew is called to the Gentiles. And Peter is known as the apostle apostle to the Jews. And he's like the rebel guy. Does not fit in as far as like um, being highly respected among Jews. But he was the one that was called to lead the Jewish people into the kingdom. I think that's 
funny, just a little thing of how the kingdom works. It's that upside down, inside out kingdom. In in Rome, though, many of these believers were not of Jewish descent. And I think, you know, when you're in, um, like when we're in the charismatic church, we can kind of think that everyone worships like we do, right? Until you go visit your friends in another state and you go to their church and they're not charismatic. And you go, oh, you worship this way. Did not know. Didn't know this is how people did it. That's like a local thing here, but just... In Rome, they didn't know that there was Jewish believers. They just thought the Gentiles, like the Jewish people had missed it. You'll see that when you read this. They, they had this sort of mindset that they were higher. They were elevated because they had accepted the Messiah. And the Jewish people had missed it. Paul is actually speaking to a mindset of superiority in this chapter. And he is trying to break down the lies of, you think you're better than them. You cannot think that you're better than them. It's because of the promise that God put in this people and that you are even able to come into faith. It's not an argument to prove their point. It's actually to correct them. This is a father correcting a people. So, in verse 11, it says, So am I saying that Israel stumbled so badly that they will never get back up? Certainly not. Rather, it was because of their stumble that salvation now extends to all the non-Jewish people in order to make Israel jealous and desire the very things that God has freely given them. So if all the world is being greatly enriched through their failure... And through their fall, great spiritual wealth is given to the non-Jewish people. Imagine how much more will Israel's awakening bring to us all. He's actually challenging this church to believe for the awakening of Israel. He's not saying, you guys have it figured out and they really missed it. Although that's true. They missed it. Isn't this interesting how, I mean, this should be encouraging to you. Somehow, in this chapter 11, I feel like it just epitomizes Romans 8.28 so beautifully. That he works all things together for our good. For those who love him and walk according to his purposes. The children of Israel loved God. They actually did love God, but they missed him when he walked into the room. We've done that. I've done that. You get so focused on the thing that you're doing, and, you know, you're doing ministry, you're doing all these good things, and God walks in, and you're just like, I got to keep with the program here. We do that sometimes. The children of Israel were looking for a Messiah. They weren't just like twiddling their thumbs. They were actively looking for the Messiah. The problem was is that they had already figured out in their minds what he was going to look like. And then when he came as a humble 
being, they didn't, that just wasn't what they had in their head. Does that relate to anybody? Like, you think God's going to move? We sang about miracles today. We think miracles are going to look a certain way, right? And sometimes when the miracle is right in front of us, we miss it. Because we've already, like, framed it in our mind. I think that this chapter is a one cautionary tale. Not to get so focused in our mindsets and locked in that we actually miss the thing that God is doing that doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. And it's also that he is working on things that we don't see. Who would have thought that the children of Israel, like that's just how redemptive God is. They missed him in the moment that he came. But he said, okay, I'm going to open the door to others. Chapter 25 of Matthew, there's a story about the wedding. The bridegroom says, send out the invitation, invite everyone to come, invite my family, invite the people that my friends, the people I do life with, invite them to come. And some were busy farming, some were busy taking care of kids, some just for whatever reason it was summer and they were going to go float the river. They didn't come. And so the bridegroom said, well, send the invitation wider. Go to the highways and the byways. And anybody that wants to come can come in. That is what chapter 11 is. And I am living in the blessing of that. I'm a highway and a byway. You are a highway and a byway. One of those people, one of those outsiders people... We feel like outsiders sometimes, don't we? We are. But we've been brought in. Brought in into family. And it keeps on going here. He talks about, you know, I'm an apostle to the non-Jewish people. And I draw as much attention to this ministry as I can when I'm among the Jews. Hoping to make them jealous of what God has given to those who are not Jews winning some of my people to salvation. You know, when we hear testimonies, do you guys relate to this? When you hear testimonies of people that get saved and they're just like having these wild encounters with the Lord, doesn't it make you jealous for your first love experience? That's what Paul's talking about to his own people. I brag about what God is doing in hopes to stir their hunger. For if their temporary rejection released the reconciling power of grace into the world, what will happen when Israel is reinstated and reconciled to God? I love this next line. It will unleash resurrection power throughout the whole earth. That alone right there should cause us to intercede for Israel daily. Not just the nation of Israel in the Middle East, but the people of Israel. And it should also just completely obliterate any replacement theology. Since Abraham and the patriarchs are consecrated and set apart for God, so also will their descendants be apart. For if the roots of a tree are holy and set apart for God, so too will be the branches. However, some of the branches have been pruned away 
And you who were once nothing more than a wild olive branch, God is grafted in, inserting you among the remaining branches as a joint partner to share in the wonderful riches of the cultivated stem. Okay, so part of the original tree, the children of Israel, this great tree, if you were to go to Israel, you'd see these beautiful olive trees that sometimes are hundreds and thousands of years old, and the roots go deep. And everything that's connected to that tree takes from the life of those roots. And they are affected by that. Now, some of those branches, for whatever reason, break off, fall off, are pruned off because of lack of health. And because of that, other branches are able to be grafted in. Now, I am not a horticulturist. I don't even understand how that happens, but I know that it does. There's a whole, like, area of focus and field of work where you can make and graft in branches from one tree to another and create a beautiful, healthy, vibrant, hybrid tree. But the root of that tree that he's talking about here, is still an olive tree or the tree of Israel. So because I'm grafted in, I am part of that tree. I'm an olive tree. I'm an Israel, child of Israel tree. My wildness doesn't take over that tree. I'm actually affected by the root system. And we live in the grace of that root system. It's so great. And it keeps going. God has grafted you in among the remaining branches as a joint partner to share in the wonderful riches of this cultivated olive stem. So don't be arrogant as to believe that you are superior to the natural branch. There is no reason to boast, for the new branches don't support the root, but you owe your life to the root that supports you. And you might begin to think that some of the branches were pruned or broken off just to make room for you. Yes, that's true. But they were removed because of their unbelief. Remember this, you are only attached by your faith. So don't be presumptuous, but stand in awe and reverence. Since God didn't spare the natural branches that fell into unbelief, perhaps he won't spare you either. So fix your gaze on the simultaneous kindness and strict justice of God. He severely treated those who fell into unbelief, yet how tender and kind is his relationship with you. So keep trusting on his kindness. Otherwise, you may also be cut off. God is more than ready to graft back in the natural branches when they turn from clinging to their unbelief to embracing faith. Okay, so these branches that have been cut off, he didn't throw them into the fire to be burned. 
He's tending to them. They're nearby, ready to be grafted in, just as we were grafted in. Just as we were grafted in. And when they come into faith, they get grafted in, just like we got grafted in. This is exciting. And what's released when they're grafted in is resurrection power. For if God grafted you in, even though you were taken from what is by nature a wild olive tree, how much more can he reconnect the natural branches by inserting them back into their own cultivated olive tree? Now this is, you know, we're in America, but we're not, we're not like set apart to have to care about the children of Israel. In fact, we're challenged to care for the, the people of Israel and to pray for their salvation and to pray for the unveiling of Jesus. And we don't talk about this very much in church. This is actually really important. And there's lots of other things that you can get from this portion of scripture, but this is what God really highlighted to me today, is that we actually have a charge, a challenge, not to boast in figuring it all out. You know, as we've been reading Romans, it's like, how could they miss it? How could they trade the law for grace or vice versa, trade grace for the law and just stay stuck in an old system that's not bringing life. It's easy to get into judgment. It's easy to think like, we've got it figured out. And in some ways, yeah, we do. We figured it out. We fell into grace. And we believed. And that's literally all we had to do. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. We really didn't do anything. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't make a way on our own. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. And by faith, through grace, we are saved. Not that any man should boast. We can't do this with people who are unbelieving in our neighborhoods. Maybe even people who haven't stepped into experiencing Holy Spirit in other churches. And certainly not the Jews. Because we're all one big family, part of one big tree. And uh, the source of life is not us. It is someone way bigger than us. His name is Jesus. It's amazing that God in his kindness will even use our own hardness of heart to bring forth his redemption and his reconciliation and his goodness. 
we really can't screw it up except for rejecting him. I'm really thankful for that. Is anybody else thankful for that? If this blunder, if this moment for Israel opened the door for millions and millions of people to come to faith, how much more will their awakening? I love that. I want to see more than I'm seeing right now. And if Israel, and not just like one or two of them, it actually talks about the whole the whole group of them. It says, and then God will bring all of Israel to salvation. This is in verse 26. How much is all? (laughs) I take that to mean all. And God will bring all of Israel to salvation. The prophecy will be fulfilled that says, Coming from Zion will be the Savior, and he will turn Jacob away from evil. For this is my covenant promise with them when I forgive their sins. Now many of the Jews are opposed to the gospel, but their opposition has opened the door of the gospel to you who are not Jewish. Yet they are still greatly loved by God because their ancestors were divinely chosen to be his. And when God chooses someone and graciously imparts gifts to them, they are never rescinded. Another translation says the gifts and callings are irrevocable. That ought to make you really encouraged and also put the fear of God in you. Yeah. We've experienced that, that the gifts and callings are irrevocable. You can operate in anointing outside of relationship all day long, and it's not bringing forth life. But the kindness of God and the gift of God is that his kindness will lead us to repentance, and he will redeem the mess that we make with our lives. Okay, where am I? I'm in 30, you're right. You who are not Jews were once rebels against God, but now because of their disobedience, you have experienced God's tender mercy. And now they are the rebels because of God's tender mercies to you. And you can open the door to them to share in and enjoy what God has given to us. Actually, God considers all of humanity to be prisoners of their unbelief so that he can unlock our hearts and show his tender mercies to all who come to him. Who could ever wrap their minds around the riches of God and the depth of his wisdom and the marvel of his perfect knowledge? Who could ever explain the wonder of his decisions or search out the mysterious way that he carries out his plans? For the Lord has discovered how, or for who has discovered how the Lord thinks and who is wise enough to be the one to advise him in his plans? Um, Not it. I do not want to take that spot of uh, trying to advise the Lord. But this really makes me think of Isaiah 55, where he says, this is the message translation, I don't think the way you think, and the way you work isn't the way I work. So if God wants to do this this way, I'm going to let him. I am going to partner with him. 
if I don't get it, I don't get some of the stuff that's going on, you know, in people's minds that fall away from the Lord, some of the deconstruction that's happening in the church, I don't get it. And I don't think all of it's God, but I do know that God and his goodness somehow will use all of our dysfunction and turn it for good if we will allow him to. And that probably doesn't set well with some of us. I'm not saying go screw up your life. But God is so much bigger than we are, and he doesn't think the way that we think. And if you're, if you're staying up at night, tossing and turning, worrying, now there's sometimes where intercession comes on you and it's time to get up and pray because the Spirit of the Lord falls on you and says, now is the time. Get up and pray about things that are on my heart. But I got to tell you, there's times that I stay awake at night worrying about things that are out of my control. And I'm like, God, I don't understand this. Things that happen in relationships, things that happen in business. You guys know things your kids are doing. Worry, worry, worry. Somehow that'll make it better. It doesn't make it better. Is God really good? If he chooses this group of people and says they are mine and I'm never loosening my grip on them and I will restore them, don't you think he's going to do the same thing with our kids? And some of the stuff that I'm watching happening and I'm going, what? I just hear him, even as I'm reading this, saying, shh, stay in faith. Stay in faith. That's your job here. Stay connected to the vine. Stay in faith, abide in me, and watch me do it. I'll reconnect them in. I just... I pray that encourages you today. I think there's some of us that need to stop worrying about some of the things that we can't control. And just let God be God. And work it for our good. And trust him and believe. And I also really feel Like verse 36 says, for out of him, the sustainer of everything, came everything, and now everything finds fulfillment in him. May all praise and honor be given to him forever. Amen. That is the truth. Everything comes from him. But he has given us a look into, I think, a key for breakthrough for the gospel. When Israel is awakened... Resurrection power is released. And there ought to be some partnership on our end to see Israel awakened. And I have to tell you, I have not taken responsibility or ownership of that in my own life. I just, I just haven't. And I don't know that very many of us have. To pray for the unveiling of Jesus for the Jewish people. But 
But I just feel like the Lord just highlighted that specifically to me this week as I was preparing. Let's pray for the people of Israel. Let's be a church that says, okay, awaken them, God. Not just a couple, but all. Because when, if, if through their blunder, if through their fail, the door was opened, how much more when they all come in? I mean, just if you just think about it for a second, the Jewish people are everywhere. Everywhere. They are a scattered people. I think we think of them as the nation of Israel. But they are everywhere. They're in Hollywood. They're in banking. They're in every mountain of society, both in America and across the globe. And they need the revelation of Jesus. I don't know. My mind is boggled. When they're awakened, resurrection power is released. This is exciting. So I want to pray this morning for them. I want to pray for us. Um, And before we do that, and if you're watching online, I'm going to show a video which will um, tend to kick us off of live stream. So we're actually going to mute the sound. But um, do we have that this morning? Awesome. I, I saw this years ago. This is a, a brother who came to um, faith in Jesus. He's a Jewish man. And his testimony is just exciting to me. Um, he's a first fruits of many that are to come. Um, so if you're watching online, they're going to post the link. You can go watch it yourself. And then we're going to pray uh, for Israel when this video is done. Thanks for listening to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon. If you would like to be a part of seeing people encounter God, experience transformation, and be equipped to advance the kingdom, you have the opportunity to partner with us through giving at jesuspursuit.org forward slash give. Together, we can make Jesus famous in Albany, the Northwest, and the nations. We hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time.